Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast of excellence. Talking about War and Peace, book one, chapter 19. The beginning of the chapter seems pretty focused on the surprise Pierre experiences at seeing tradesmen and servants while entering through the back stairs. This is punctuated by the line, Pierre had never been in this part of the house. He had not even suspected the existence of these rooms. Why do you think Anna Mikhailovna led Pierre into the house this way instead of through the front door? Do you think the story will spend more time focused on the common people or are we only going to see the world through the lens of the aristocrats? These are, by the way, these prompts are courtesy of Seven of Nine. Pierre struggles to finish the sentence while asking for the status of his benefactor Count Benazukov. What kind of relationship is implied by his hesitance to call his own father his father instead of just the Count? Some sources talk about War and Peace being a novel that explores and explains Tolstoy's views on determinism. Pierre seems to adopt a strong sense of determinism throughout the chapter, letting the people and events around him fully dictate his own actions. Do you have any personal beliefs about determinism versus free will? How do those beliefs beliefs shape your view of Pierre so far? Man, user 7 of 9, your discussion prompts are so much more in-depth than mine. Mine are usually like, huh, that was cool, what do you reckon? <laughs> and that's about it. But man, we're talking about determinism versus free will? Alright. Determinism is a doctrine that all events, including human action, are ultimately determined by causes external to our own will. Some philosophers have taken determinism to imply that individual human beings have no free will and cannot be held morally responsible for their actions. I think, um, is is Pierre really resigned to determinism though? Or is he just temporarily like, I'm in over my head, I'm going to let people who know what they're doing take the lead and I'm going to take a, a passenger seat in this and just sort of follow their prompts. I think that's, you know, that's is that determinism? I don't think so. Grumpy Shakespearean said this. I think uh, this had a couple of purposes. Oh, this is referring to the first question about why did they go in through the back stairs? First of all, she was able to steer him away from everyone else. More people in the house means more people who could intercept Pierre and stop him from seeing his father. Secondly, it gave Pierre less opportunity to sneak away. They even entered the house through a different door. He has no choice but to follow her. He doesn't even know where they are. Another good point. I didn't think of that. Um, Pierre cares for his father, but he also expressed that it felt wrong to call him his father. Was that saying it was wrong to himself or wrong to everyone else? He clearly feels awkward and unsure of himself. He doesn't know what to do and is acutely aware of the fact that everyone else around him does know what to do. I couldn't tell if there was a bit of an inward strife, guilt at not seeing his father and the whole time he's been here, perhaps, mixed in with that awkwardness, but he clearly does care about his father, and that leads me to number three. For the first time, Pierre seems to be aware that he could be, slash will be, Count Bezikov. He can't be running around drunk trying, tying policemen to bears, or role-playing Napoleon, or picking fights at dinner parties. If he becomes the Count... He suddenly has to not only learn, but then abide by an entirely new set of rules that, up until now, he was able to completely ignore. It's all clicking into place for him. We've talked a lot in this sub 
about adulthood and how the younger generation is trying on identities and roles and feelings, Pierre is realizing now what it will really be like to wear his role as Count. And he can't take it off and go back to normal life. He's on the precipice. Excellent uh, comment. War and Kvafihi said, I think Pierre being led through the servants' corridors was a great way to show how many of the utterly wealthy might be completely oblivious to how common people live. Yeah, it also gives you a good sense of the size of this house, that there's a whole, not a room that he didn't know about, you know, but a whole section of corridors and stairs and rooms and a, a whole wing that he didn't know about. And not that he didn't know his way around it, right? Like he'd never been there, so he, he wasn't familiar with it. He didn't even realize it existed. That's how big these places are. Um, and it's not accidental that when they refer to him going to his apartments, not his apartment, it's not like he's got a room or an apartment, he's got uh, apartments, <laughs> right? That's an, And that's his little bit of the mansion, is apartments. Uh, this is my first time I'm hearing about determinism being a theme in War and Peace. My initial impression is that Pierre is still very much a child in some ways, and the situation unfolding with his dad is something he doesn't even grasp, so he just defers to the guidance of people like Anna Mikhailovna. Rick A. Evans said, It's interesting to see how nice arch-schema Anna Mikhailovna is to the servants, especially in comparison to her friend Countess Rostov. She's clearly trying harder to create a good impression as she as much as she can to gain than some of the other characters and certainly nothing to lose. Pierre's relationship with his father is clearly something that is hard for him to express to other people. I thought this chapter showed him caught between emotional response and propriety. He certainly has more genuine love for his father than do the vultures around him. Amy Lays replied saying, oh, and Amy Lays is reading the book in Croatian. That's kind of cool. I'm really starting to like Anna. I hope she gets a part of the money. How come she's so poor? Did they explain it already or not? Yes, they did. They spoke about her being a widow and having lawsuits. I'm not sure what the lawsuits were exactly, but I guess those are meant to be hinted at the reasons why she's kind of poor. To me, it seems like Pierre is not so close to his father, studying abroad for most of the time and now this, so I don't understand how he is his father's favourite especially considering they said the Count has a ton of illegitimate children. Good question. Yeah, I don't really know myself, to be honest. I love this one chapter a day read, says Down to Earth, especially today. The discussion between the eldest princess and Prince Vasily was pr the prior chapter created an incredible sense of tension and anxiety during this chapter. Already I like Pierre and want him to become the new Count, but at the same time, I'm anticipating that the prince will be successful in subverting the Count's will. I'm looking forward to what happens next. Zukov uh, is here with the daily line comparison. Maud, this is Pierre processing everything. He felt that this would not do, and that tonight he was a person obliged to perform some awful, some sort of awful rite which everyone expected of him, and that he was therefore bound to accept their services. Um, Briggs he realised that tonight he had become a special person obliged to endure some ghastly ceremony because it was expected of him 
and this meant he was bound to accept favors from everyone. He suddenly felt that that oh this is PNV. He suddenly felt that that would be improper. He felt that that night he, as the person responsible for performing some terrible rite which everyone expected, and that he therefore had to accept service from them all. Um, now let me see if I can find the Andrew Lewis one. Uh, I don't think I can. I don't think I can find it. I don't want to just... Oh, wait, I did find it. Here we go. Uh, but suddenly he felt that wasn't right. Suddenly he felt that he was the person obliged to perform some awful rite which everyone expected of him, and that somehow that meant he had to accept their services. There you go. That's my version. Quite different today. Uh, sometimes in life, says Zukov17, truth comes at you in the flash of a seminal moment, but more often than not it unfolds slowly in some almost countless ways that seem to have no meaning in the moment, but build to an earth-shattering crescendo. That's what we have here. Pierre is seeing it all click into place, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he knows, he only knows, how he is grasping the influence of his own experience. It's a good way to put it. He does seem quite naive and oblivious so much in the, you know, in the start of the book. And now he's sort of realizing people are deferring to him, sort of, you know, like uh, people that he would usually have to be polite to, like a lady who's dropped her hanky or whatever it is, um, is picking up his dropped glove, you know, or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it is, but kind of all the roles are reversed suddenly he's kind of like the top dog and he's just kind of clicking into place what that means um all right i think let's keep reading hey sorry if i didn't get to your comment i try to read as many of like as i can every night but there's there's still so many comments so i'm just kind of you know skimming skipping here and there chapter 23 goes like this pierre knew this room well Divided by columns and an arch, Persian carpets hanging round the walls. The part of the room behind the columns with a high silked curtain mahogany bedstead on one side and an immense cabinet full of icons on the other was lit up with bright red light, like a Russian church during evening service. Below those sparkly icons, I think icons, by the way, are like portraits, religious portraits, like pictures of, you know, Mother Mary and Jesus and stuff. Below those sparkly icons, there was an invalid chair with fresh white pillows, and in that chair Pierre saw his father, Count Bezikov, majestic and impressive as always. The grey mane of hair above his broad forehead reminded Pierre of a lion. His face was handsome and noble, with its deep wrinkles and ruddy complexion. He lay just under the icons, his large thick hands outside the quilt, a wax taper, had been shoved into his right hand, which lay palm downwards. It was resting between his forefinger and thumb and held in place by an old servant bending over from behind the chair. The priests were standing there too by the chair with their magnificent hair looking all fancy, falling over the glittering vestments. They had, they held lit tapers and slowly and solemnly they conducted the service a little behind them stood the two younger princesses, dabbing their teary eyes with hankies, and just in front of them was Katish, the older sister, who had a very nasty look about her. She was staring at the icons with an expression that suggested that if 
She stopped looking at the icons. She might go full psycho. Anna Mikhailovna, all meek and sorrowful, stood by the door near the strange lady. Prince Vasily was in front of the door, besides, beside the invalid chair. A wax taper in his hand, leaning on the carved back of a velvet chair he had turned round for that purpose, and was crossing himself, turning his eyes upward as he touched his forehead. His face was resigned and pious, as if to say it was all in God's hands now. If you don't feel the same way, he seemed to say, then that's your problem. Behind him was the aide-de-camp, the doctors and the men servants, the men and the women who had uh, sorry, the men and the women had separated as if they as if it were a church. All were silently crossing themselves, and the reading of the church service, the dreary chanting of the deep bass voice, and in the in-between moments the shuffling of feet were the only sounds that could be heard. Anna Mikhailovna crossed the room to Pierre with an air of importance, as if she knew she ought to be there doing precisely what she was doing, and handed him a taper. He lit it, then got all muddled up while watching those around him, and nearly set himself on fire by crossing himself with the hand that held the taper. Sophie, the cheekiest and youngest princess, the one with the mole that made her slightly hotter, watched Pierre. A smile crept up her face, which she immediately hid in her hanky and kept it hidden for a while. Then, feeling mistakenly confident that she could hold it together, she looked up, locked eyes with Pierre, and burst out laughing. It was pretty clear that she couldn't look at him without laughing, but also couldn't resist looking at him. And so, to avoid the predicament, she quickly nipped behind one of the columns. Midway through the service, the voices of the priests suddenly went quiet, then they whispered something between them, and the old servant, who was holding the Count's hand, got up and said something to the ladies. Anna Mikhailovna stepped up and stooped over the dying man and beckoned for Lorraine to approach too. The French doctor was leaning against one of the columns and was not holding a taper, but his column lean still seemed like a respectful column lean. The kind of column lean that suggested that even though he was a foreigner, and they did things differently in his country, and had different rituals and stuff. He still understood how important the rites being performed were, and that he approved of them. He approached the sick man, able to step swiftly forward without making a noise, and with his delicate white fingers he took the sick man's free hand from beneath the green quilt, and turning sideways he concentrated sexually on feeling the pulse. The sick man was given a drink, there was a stir around him, then the service continued. During this moment, Pierre noticed that Prince Vasily left the chair he'd been leaning on, and with an air that suggested that he knew what he was doing, and if others didn't understand and fuck them, he moved, not to the sick man, but past him, joining the eldest princess. They moved together to the side of the room, where the highest bedstead stood, with its silken hangings. Next they left the room together by a back door, but returned again, one than the other, before the service finished. Pierre didn't pay this much attention, no more than anything else that was happening around him, having already decided that everything that was happening around him that night was absolutely essential. The service ended, the chanting stopped, and the priest respectfully congratulated the dying man on having received the sacrament. The dying man didn't react much other than to continue dying. He didn't move. Everyone else began to stir, shuffling footsteps and whispers were heard. 
Typically, Anna Mikhailovna's whispers stood out above the hushed crowd. Pierre heard her say, Surely he can't stay here, we've got to move him to the bed. The sick man was so swarmed by now with doctors, princesses and servants that Pierre couldn't see his reddish-yellow face with its grey mane, which he'd kept his eyes on during the whole service. He figured by the way the people surrounded him moved carefully that they didn't that they'd lifted him oh, he figured by the way the people around him moved carefully that they'd lifted him to move him grab my arm quick or you'll drop him he heard one of the servants whisper shitting himself grab it here under quick quick said different voices and the heavy breathing of the bearers and the shuffling of their feet became more rushed as if the old bugger was too heavy for them Anna Mikhailovna was among the bearers and as they moved past Pierre he caught a little glimpse between them at the dying man's exposed chest and powerful shoulders held up under the armpits by those around him and his grey curly leonine head this head was not disfigured by its oncoming death its cheekbones and brow were still broad and handsome its mouth was still sensual its expression cold as ever and majestic exactly how Pierre remembered it three months before when the Count had sent him to Petersburg, but now the head swayed helplessly, flopping here and there by the clumsy movements of the bearers and the cold, empty gaze focused upon nothing. Once he was moved, the bearers bustled around the bedstead a few minutes and then wandered off. Anna Mikhailovna touched Pierre on the hand and said, Oi, come. Pierre went with her to the bed where the sick man was now lying, Positioned in a stately pose in keeping with the ceremony just completed, his head was propped high on the pillows, his hands were, system, were symmetrically placed on the green silk quilt, palms down. When Pierre walked up to him, the Count was looking right at him, but with a look that no mortal man could understand. Or maybe they could. It might have been a look too full of meaning to ever comprehend. Or maybe he just needed somewhere to look on account of having eyes. Pierre was stumped clueless as to what he should do now and looked inquiringly at his guide Anna Mikhailovna made a sneaky sign with her eyes glancing at the sick man's hand and moving her lips as if to send it a kiss Pierre carefully stretching his neck to avoid to avoid touching the quilt followed her hint and gave the large boned fleshy hand a kiss the count's hand didn't respond nor did his face or any bit of him in fact it was as if he were dead he wasn't though not quite once again, Pierre looked to Anna Mikhailovna for guidance. She widened her gaze subtly towards a chair that stood beside the bed, and Pierre obediently sat down, asking all the while with his eyes in return if he was sitting correctly, or had he missed a memo regarding proper use of chairs. Kindly, Anna Mikhailovna nodded approvingly as if to say, yes dear, that's how a chair works. Pierre resumed his way to symmetrical and erect Egyptian statue pose, lifting his chin and placing a hand on each thigh, evidently bothered by his massive clumsy body and wishing to become as small as possible. He chanced another look at the Count and saw that he was still gazing at the spot where Pierre's face had been before he sat down. Anna Mikhailovna had a vibe about her. By her respectful attitude, she was showing that she understood the pathetic importance of these last moments between a father and son. This lasted probably two minutes, though it felt like an hour to Pierre. Suddenly the broad muscles and lines of the Count's face started twitching, then they twitched harder, 
The handsome mouth twisted to one side, and seeing this, Pierre realized how near death his father was, and from that distorted mouth came a little hoarse sound. Anna Mikhailovna peered into the sick man's eyes, trying to guess what he wanted. She pointed to Pierre, then to a drink, whispered Prince Vasily's name inquiringly, then pointed to the quilt. The sick man's eyes and face became impatient. He made an effort to look at the servant who stood at the head of the bed. He wants to turn over, whispered the servant, and got up to turn the Count's heavy body towards the wall. Pierre got up to help. While he was being turned over, one of the Count's arms flopped to the side, and he made a pathetic effort to pull it forward. Whether he noticed that the limp, mostly dead arm had frightened the shit out of Pierre, or some other thought flitted through his mostly dead brain, at any rate he glanced at the disobedient arm, at Pierre's dopey face, and again at the arm, and on his face a weak and sad smile appeared, looking real out of place on him at that moment, as if he found his own hopelessness amusing. The sight of this smile made an unexpected quiver move through Pierre's chest, his nose tickled and his eyes filled with tears. The sick man was turned on his side, facing the wall. He sighed. "'He'll have a snooze now,' said Anna Mikhailovna, seeing that one of the princesses was coming to take her turn at watching. "'Come on, let's go for now.' Pierre went out. Oh, all right, there we go. That's a grim chapter, isn't it? Jesus. I hope you felt like hanging out with a dying guy for 15 minutes, <laughs> however long that took. Oh, dear. All right, guys, thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.